0: All right, let's go to our scripture reading for this morning, and we're going to be looking at uh, James 1, verse 19 to 21, and James 4, uh, 1 through 6. i I'll go to read this for us. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, We'll be hearing from various other passages today, other than the ones from James, but uh, what are these passages all seem to be addressing? Uh, They're, in a way, topically addressing the problem of our anger. And anger, uh, interestingly, is one of the things that not very often talked about very much, or in depth, at least. Maybe it's because people usually think or say things like this. uh, If only uh, my spouse would change his or her ways. If only my husband would stop doing this. If only my wife would stop doing that. If only my children would learn to obey. Uh, If only my boss would treat me uh, fairly. Uh, If only people on the road would drive like a sane person. Now. What's missing in these sorts of um, descriptions? It's the problem with our own anger. Uh, in one sense, the trouble we have with, with anger is that we, we think we're powerless to control it because we think it's our circumstances and relationships that control our anger, not our character. Uh, so we say things like, you're making me angry. And I've caught myself saying this to my kids now and then. Right? You're making me mad. Meaning what, right? What's implied in saying, you're making me angry? I have no control, right? It excuses us from self-control. But the biblical truth is, is actually the opposite. What we're responsible for and what we can't, what we're not responsible for and what we cannot control are other people and circumstances. And what we are responsible for and what we have some measure of control over is our own anger from our own character. So it's oftentimes these misconceptions that often lead us to not look in depth at the the problem of anger because it forces us then to look more deeply at ourselves. And uh, it's when this happens, um, when we turn away from self-control to people control and situation control, that, that exacerbates the problem of anger because the more we try to control people and situations, what happens? The more we realize we don't have control and it, it makes our anger uh, become uh, worse. And, and we become the ones under control, under the control of our anger. So, so this is an important problem, uh, important for us to address and understand how the Bible addresses it and for us to think biblically about it. And really, how, how does our, our Lord and Savior deal with our problem of anger? How should Christians uh, do anger or pursue good anger? Uh, Dr. Jim Newheiser, he's a Christian counselor and professor, and, and he has written some helpful material on this, on anger, and, and um, you can basically sum up his, his writing on this this way. And I'm going to borrow from his outline here. Uh, his outline is basically the definition of anger, the difference between good and bad anger, and the path to good anger. Okay, and that would be our outline today. The definition of anger, the difference between good and bad anger, and the path to good anger, all right? So definition of anger. Um, let's understand what anger is, okay? Uh, Charles Spilberger, he's a psychologist and he specializes in anger and he defines anger as an emotional state that varies in intensity from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. Okay, this is a secular sort of definition of anger. Okay. Uh, emotional state that varies from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. Now, what's interesting about that definition and what's helpful about it is it, it tells us that anger is not something that's immediately negative or positive. Okay. Uh, it's just an emotional state. It's an emotional reaction to something. Um, and there are things in life, right, that actually warrant mild irritation, and there are things in life that actually warrant intense fury, right? Uh, why is that, though? Why is it that in, in this place we call it earth or life that there are things that would draw out such uh, emotions from us and this is where robert jones who's a biblical counselor i think is more helpful uh and he defined jones defines as uh, anger as our whole person's active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil okay whole person's active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil okay so there's there's that's putting more skin to what Spielberger was saying Um, it's not just a spectrum of feelings right from mild irritation to intense fury what Jones is adding is there's a causal relationship uh, between our feeling of anger and moral judgments moral judgments okay so you can understand the the spectrum of responses more in a more rational way, when we add onto it a moral picture, a moral situation. So, to give you some example, um, when, someone, yeah, when someone does cut you off in traffic, you know, without their blinkers on, right, is it reasonable and normal for you to be mildly irritated by that? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, when you look back on the history of the world and look back on the atrocities um in Nazi Germany during World War II. Should that cause a sense of intense fury and rage? Uh, yeah, probably. Right. Um, th- so in a way, these moral situations and moral judgments are the causal things that lead us to feel a wide range of things that we call anger or synonymously maybe frustration or irritation or rage. So in a way, anger is not in and of itself a bad thing. It's a descriptive thing that shows, it tells us, this is how we react to certain situations, moral situations. Um, David Paulison, another Christian counselor, he wrote, had humanity's first parents exercised appropriate anger in Eden, the deceiving serpent might have died in the garden, right? In a way, he's attributing the, the, the birth of sin into the world as a lack of good anger if only Adam and Eve were were pursuing good anger in the garden, the serpent might have died and sin would not have entered into the world. Uh, So anger, again, it's not something that we wanna outright condemn in and of itself because it can be a positive thing. Uh, It's it's actually a very necessary thing because we are moral beings living in a moral universe. So anger is an emotional state that stems from moral judgments that we make and moral judgments are are necessary. Now, Maybe a side, this is a side note, but remember when Jesus said uh, that you shall not judge and uh, that's probably one of the most taken out of context and misunderstood verses in the whole Bible. Um, What Jesus meant there is not to make absolutely no moral judgments whatsoever, right? Because that contradicts itself because as soon as you say, hey, you shouldn't judge, then you're judging the person who's judging, right? So it's a it's a self-contradictory thing to say. You shouldn't judge anything in any absolute moral sense. What Jesus meant there was he was instructing against hypocritical judgments, um, taking a measure that you use for yourself uh, or or that you use for others and not applying it to yourself. Okay. So uh, the same measure that you use for 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 yourself, you should use for others. That was his point. It was it was a command against bad moral judgments, not moral judgments per se, and 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 assumed underneath that is we should always be making good moral judgments okay that's unavoidable Um, but see that's where also the problem comes in okay Uh, we are fallen beings and that means we're not prone to make good moral judgments it's just the opposite okay remember uh anger according to jones is defined as a whole person's active response of negative moral judgments right Moral judgments about what? Moral judgments about what? Perceived evil. Moral judgments about perceived evil. And that's that's a problem. <laughs> okay? Why? Because our perceptions are fallible. Our perceptions are fallible. Our perceptions deceive us. Our perceptions need correction. The Bible, time and time again, warns us against anger because in our fallen condition, we make fallen perceptions. Okay? And, and in our fallen perception, we express sinful anger. Okay? So unlike God, whose anger is always righteous and balanced, our anger is the opposite. Okay? It's prone to be unrighteous and unbalanced. And that's because of our fallen nature. And this, this makes anger a a problem for us right in our anger we can feel justified in thinking you know my judgment is correct Uh, my perceptions are accurate Uh, but see the bible doesn't give us grounds for thinking that okay it's quite the opposite okay Uh, jesus says this very clearly in mark chapter 7 that sin is not something that comes from the outside into our hearts it's not like an r-rated movie or non-christian people out there depositing sin into us okay Sin is actually something that comes from within our own hearts into the world, okay? Uh, Situations and relationships can influence us and exacerbate our sinful tendencies, but they don't create sin in us. Our hearts are sin factories in and of themselves, very capable of producing sin without any external contribution. It's, It's like this. I'll give you a picture to try to understand this. If I'm carrying a cup of coffee and I'm walking down lobby and let's say um, Pastor Kevin bumps into me okay, and I spill the coffee, my, my grande soy mocha uh, that I pay good money for. I can say that he caused me or influenced me to spill the coffee, right? That's reasonable. But I cannot say that person created the coffee. I can't say Pastor Kevin created the, the coffee that's in my hand. I already had it in my hands. Right? He, he only caused it to bring, sort of bring it out into the, the, the carpet or on the surface. In the same way, uh, you can say that a person drew out the sinful anger from within you, but you cannot say that person created the sinful anger within you. It's, it's not like you had nothing but sunshine and rainbows in your heart and then this person or situation came along and then you suddenly became simply angry. That's not how this works. You were only suppressing it until it surfaced. So back to the definition, it, even if we were reacting to something that's morally wrong and needs to be judged, we shouldn't be n- so naive to, uh, to think that we ourselves are never fallible in our judgments, never fallible in our perceptions. In fact, biblically speaking, it's safer for us to assume. Safer for it to be guarded against our initial perception. To doubt our initial perception rather than be affirming of it. As it says, it says in James 1.19, as we read, we need to be slow to anger. Slow to anger and not quick to affirm our anger. Uh, Affirming the anger of God is one thing, because his judgment is always true. But affirming the anger of man is another thing. The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, it says. So the definition of anger we get from Robert Jones is, is again, helpful. Um, It's a whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. And the footnote to that is, our perceptions are fallible. Our perceptions are often subjective our perceptions are often selfish so that's the that's the definition of our anger now let's talk a little bit about then the difference between good and bad anger a bit more because the Bible really helps us articulate that Uh, whereas in in sort of the secular approach you know anger is just kind of treated as a negative emotion and you should never ever feel any kind of negative emotion and therefore um, it, it kind of undermines our moral nature. It, it dismisses the pro- proper reaction we have to moral situations, wh- whereas the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible distinguishes between good and bad anger. Uh, here's, so first, bad anger or sinful anger. What can we learn about that from the Bible? Well, the Bible teaches us sinful anger is inherently destructive. Kay. It's just destructive. Uh, it's, it's the cause of permanently broken relationships, communities, even nations. Yeah. And if you go back to the beginning of humanity, beginning of our story, I mean, how, think about it, how long did it take for human beings to start destroying each other out of anger, right? it, It's fascinating if you think about it. Human number three got angry and killed human number four. Humanity almost became extinct because of anger. It's destructive. Anger is destructive. And we learn that from the very beginning. Uh, Here's the other dangerous thing about sinful anger. Sinful anger is contagious. It's contagious. Proverbs 22 says, Don't associate or befriend a man given to anger. Or go with a wrathful, meaning hot-tempered, short-tempered man. Or you will learn his ways. You will, you will be shaped very much by that person that you associate with. Proverbs 15 says a harsh word stirs up anger. So if you're around a lot of harsh words, you'll be stirred up in your anger. So if you find yourself you know, regularly uh, listening to or opening yourself up to the influence of angry people who express anger without filter, without discernment, uh, without self-control, uh, that will very much shape the kind of person you become they will make you as angry as they are. Right, it's almost like the, the voices and influences that you open yourself up to, uh, they essentially get a key into your house. And, and they get to shape the furniture of your heart. And they get to paint the walls in your house however they want. So sometimes what's so-called anger management is is about managing who you associate yourself with, who you spend time with. Uh, A good example of this just in our cultural moment is what sociologists call group polarization. Uh, So group polarization is is this phenomenon where a person becomes so identified with with their group or their team uh, that their disapproval of the other side, the other group, the other team, is um, basically a knee jerk reaction that is not at all logical because uh, they're not equally bothered by the same moral flaws in the other team or the other group, I mean, in their own group as they are of the other group. Um, and, and that's how you know you've become a victim of group polarization. You've, you've given into, the, you've succumbed to this tribalism where there's nothing self corrective within your own group that you're in, and you only see the speck that's in the other group's. I. And that feels itself because, again, anger is contagious. So within that community, as long as you stay within that community, you're only angry about the things that that group is angry about, and you become blind to the flaws that that group is not at all concerned about. Anger is contagious. Now, I I do want to reiterate, anger is not in and of itself sinful, right? Remember that. That's almost like saying hunger itself is sinful, right? Uh, Hunger is a God-given desire. And I would say anger is as well, right? But just as we have to be moderate and self-controlled in how we satisfy our hunger, we have to be moderate and self-controlled in how we go about satisfying our anger. So the biblical answer to the problem of anger is not, don't you ever be angry, That's almost like telling someone struggling with gluttony, don't you ever eat anything again. That's, that's not the answer, right. The biblical answer to our problem with anger is don't sin in your anger. Be angry and do not sin or pursue good anger. Be righteously angry. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that other anger. Wh- what is good anger? What is righteous anger in the Bible? So- several helpful things, um, and this is from Robert Jones. For one, righteous anger, reacts against actual sin okay it's a pretty simple principle but very easy to forget if there is no sin you should not be angry that's the principle okay let's say okay let's go back to the starbucks scenario Uh, you're delayed at the drive-through at starbucks and because of that delay you are late to work that is not grounds for you to be righteously angry because you haven't perceived any actual sin. Uh, If you were to to feel irritated, sitting in traffic on the way to work, um, and you feel justified, therefore, to feel just a certain anger towards the people around you who are sitting in traffic with you or in front of you, that's not justified anger because you're not perceiving actual sin. You're perceiving delays. You're perceiving slowdowns. You're, you're perceived an accident. You're not actually perceiving sin. You need to distinguish that. Now, second, righteous anger focuses on God's capital K kingdom concerns and not my little K kingdom concerns. Basically, uh, it's not making myself the center of the universe and judging you know, who is out of orbit from me who is uh, defying my ordinances, but instead it's assessing whether I perceive someone violating God's kingdom and his laws, God's kingdom agenda. Uh, A very clear illustration of this from the Bible, right? It's Jesus's own anger towards the the people who desecrated the temple, uh, his father's house, by selling uh, goods rather than worshiping and praying in the temple, in the house of God. Uh, Righteous anger, is something that you feel uh, when you see god is not getting what is due unto him it's not something you feel when you're not getting what you want that is not righteous anger it's something you feel when you note that god is not getting what's due unto him here's the third thing about righteous anger that's very important and that is righteous anger is always righteously expressed and this is similar to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago the methods have to match the message. Even if you're reacting against something that is really, really sinful, if your reaction to that is not righteous, you're just as subject to judgment as that person who's in sin. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4. Paul goes as far as to say, be angry and do not sin, And by doing that, you don't give any opportunity to the devil, meaning when we sin in our anger, we're not not doing the Lord's work, we're doing the devil's work. Strong language. When we sin in our anger, we're giving the devil an opportunity to do his work because God's work, remember, what's God's ministry to us? The ministry of reconciliation. So here's an example, let's, let's continue that group polarization example, maybe apply that to our political culture for, for a little bit, flesh this out. What would be the difference between righteous anger that pleases God and sinful anger that the devil delights in when it comes to our political engagement? Let's say in your time of uh, researching for which party to support and vote for, which candidate you would like to endorse, you are to identify something that's so clearly sinful in the other party. You identify something that's so clearly morally reprehensible in the other candidate that you oppose, and you, you begin to feel anger. You feel justified in your anger. If, in that moment, you feel also justified to disobey God's command, to be slow to anger and quick to listen, to listen to your neighbors, even those that disagree with you politically, and really listen. Uh, you should not feel justified in your anger. That's, that's you sinning in your anger. Right? If, if in holding on to your justification for your anger, you disobey God's command, you're sinning in your anger. Uh, if in, if in, as you oppose the political viewpoints of, of someone, you refuse the command to love your enemies and to pray for those you consider to be your persecutors you're like, there's no way I'm going to take time out of my busy day to pray for that person. Pray for this person that I just abhor. You're sinning in your anger. You are not justified in your anger. If your anger is hindering you from removing the log that is in your own eye or your own party's eye, your own political party's eye, before removing the speck in the other party's eye, If that that activity is never done, you're sinning in your anger, you're not justified in your anger. And Paul would say, you're giving a devil an opportunity to rule over your hearts through your political engagement. What would righteous anger look like in these examples? Uh, It would be, on the one hand, you hold fast to your convictions. Right? You're, you're sure this is what pleases God. You hold on to your convictions while you always keep your ears open to hearing the other side. You're quick to listen with grace, with patience, right? and withholding final judgment because your perceptions can be fallible. And in love, you give that person the benefit of the doubt. Right? Love always hopes. Love trusts all things. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt. Here, righteous anger would also be devoting time to pray for those you consider to be your enemies. And not just not just you know, boiling in your anger about the other, but you pray for them actively. You have to actively pray for them out of love. Uh, and if there is no love, that's something you have to repent of. God's kingdom concern is, is more directed at the lack of love than whatever's happening on the Socio-political level uh, don't let this kingdom agenda god's capital k kingdom agenda take the back seat and let your political priorities take the front seat keep this priority at, at, at the center uh, i would also mean that you you're more vocal about the flaws and i wish i i wish i would see more examples of this it would mean you're more vocal about the flaws within your own political party and your own tribe, perhaps even your own church and your denomination, than the flaws of the other, than the sins of the other. To, to actively work on removing the log that is in our own eye before we try to remove the speck that's in the others. All right, call out your own team before you call out the other team. Disciples of Jesus Christ must be balanced this way. This is how we practice, express righteous anger, good anger, godly anger. I hope that gives you some clarity between the two different angers. And, 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 and note, you know, if, if you think the examples of righteous anger are, are unclear uh, and, and you need these examples fleshed out more, it's because it's really rare, right? It's rare. But just as I was sitting down and trying to flesh this out even in this one example, right? You all, we all have the ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to flesh out what what would it look like if I were to obey God's commandments in my anger and not sin in my anger. Just flesh it out in your parenting, in your marriage, in your vocational life, on your way to work. Flesh it out and distinguish between good anger and bad anger. Le- this leads me to the last point as well, the, the, the path to good anger. What is the actual path to good anger? And there is a path. There is a way to head in this direction together as a body of Christ, as his disciples. And here's how. It's by believing, worshiping, living according to the gospel, according to the good news. Uh, the problem, right, with sinful anger is we let anger control us when we should have self-control over it, right? And what the Bible gives us is the good news that God has sent his son to save us from that state of being dominated and controlled by sin, to give us a new heart, a, new, a heart that now lives to please him under his control, not to please ourselves under the control of our own anger. God gives us that heart that can now obey him, more than we obey ourselves or our flesh. That's where our hope lies, that we no longer need to live under the control of sin, but under the control of our gracious and merciful, slow to anger God. The power of this gospel is that for those who believe in this message, trust in the Son of God, they're not merely forgiven. They're not merely uh, excused from their former anger, their former sins, but now by the power of the gospel, they're also transformed as well. They're changed. Which means you can now begin to live differently. You can do anger differently. And in fact, you must if you are a Christian. You're not merely forgiven. You're called righteous. You're called children of God. And children of God are those who are by definition able, able, to exercise good anger, righteous anger, and resist sinful anger. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Uh, The word for able appears twice in this verse to, to emphasize you have, you have a new ability now to be angry and not sin, to pursue good anger. You are not under the control of your anger. You have control over your anger. And it's all because in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven and you are now a new creation with a new heart, a new ability to live according to God's commands. So if this is who you are, someone forgiven, transformed, because of the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross of Christ, and, and that's what you celebrate, then your, life, your own life has to be a reflection of that. Your wrath must also be satisfied on the cross that you carry as you follow Jesus and imitate his love for fellow sinners, our fellow sinners. And the Bible repeats this theme uh, again and again, right? The Bible, again, doesn't shy away from the topic of anger. It, it really narrows into it. Uh, it says in Matthew 18 If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. And, and that's not a prescriptive statement, it's a, it's a descriptive one, meaning it's simply describing the condition of your heart. If, if your heart is not forgiven, well you will not be forgiving. And, and that description can go either way. If you're not forgiving, that says something about the condition of your heart, it's not forgiven. The forgiven heart is proven by its ability to forgive. It's a description. And if you're not sure today if this is your heart or not, I wanna encourage you to take time out today, Um, go back to the gospel, go back to Matthew 18, and, and Matthew 18 has a very helpful parable there as well, of the parable of the unmerciful servant. Meditate on that passage, read it closely, think carefully about it until you realize that no amount of debt that your fellow human beings owe you can ever compare to the amount of debt that you owed God because ultimately um, that's the path the path to Jesus and the cross is the only path you will realize to to which you will realize your heart is forgiven and it's only then that you'll begin to forgive others so the path to good anger is the path to Jesus and the cross because it's the forgiven heart that forgives. So reflect upon the gospel until you realize this, that, that you're not merely forgiven, but transformed by the power of the cross. You're not just forgiven for your own sake, you're transformed for the sake of others, to be a blessing to others, remember that? That's what makes us children of Abraham, to be called, assembled, so that we can be blessed, to be a blessing, to others. God has forgiven you so you would forgive others. And God has gone beyond forgiving you. He has gone beyond forgiving his enemies to the point of blessing them with his goodness. Beyond forgiving them to adopting them as his own children. And that's how we are to love our enemies, meaning you know, you got to go beyond forgiving them. It's not enough that you forgive them. You have to love them. You have to do good to them. You have to bless them. You're not just to go up to someone who's wronged you and say, here's my forgiveness. You have to go up to them and say, here's my forgiveness and my love and my kindness and my goodness and my generosity and my friendship and all the rest because that's what you have received from God. And on top of meditating on this gospel, and, and I hope that's where you begin, uh, there's some practical things I wanna encourage you to do as well, just to implement this, just to be more proactive in this. Here's the first thing I would encourage you to do today, uh, to go home and open up your journal and make a list. Uh, write a list of things that you're often tempted to elevate of, of above God and love more than him, because chances are those are the things that are causing you to feel sinful anger things that you cherish more than God. What might that be? And again, they can be legitimate things, uh, like I wanna be respected, I, I, I wanna feel comfortable, I wanna be successful at work or school, I wanna be treated fairly, I wanna have a spouse who is respectful or have a spouse who is affectionate, I, wan- I wanna have children who are obedient and disciplined, I wanna have a tidy house, I wanna have enough money, I don't wanna get cut off in traffic. These are legitimate wants. But if they are causing you to feel sinful anger, that means you have wanted these things inordinately too much. You have wanted these things excessively. You have wanted these things more than you want God. They've become your idols. And, and idols, when idols lodge in your heart, they give an opportunity for the devil to rule over your heart. So make a list. Things that tend to trigger you, things that tend to uh, irritate you the most, that take you from not just mild irritation to just some somewhere in the middle, but intense fury, intense rage. What are those things? And what do you do with that list? Treat it like a like a spiritual map of your own heart. Confess these things before God. Confess your idols. Um, and comf- confess the things that you, you disobeyed in order to hold on to these idols. And this way, you return to making proper moral judgments about the perceived evil in your own heart. Perceive the evil in your own heart. Channel righteous anger towards your own heart rather than towards those around you. And what's the outcome of that? You turn to the grace of God. You turn to the mercy of God more than your control over your situations and relationships. So make a list Confess these things before the Lord. Second, I'm gonna encourage you to make another list. Okay, separate list. Here, list four or five ways that you can show love and goodness to those who have hurt you or wronged you. Go beyond forgiving them to being good to them. That's the basic Christian requirement, right? Um, Does that sound challenging? I hope it sounds challenging. It should sound challenging. But you know, the thing is, this doesn't make If you do this, this doesn't make you super Christian. You don't get like extra credit for being this way. This is the basic Christian requirement to not simply forgive someone, but to be good to them. This is the basic Christian requirement. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Third, I wanna encourage you guys to uh, memorize two or three, at least two uh, anger verses from the Bible. Uh, verses that address anger, and, and we've, we've, I've mentioned a few of them today. Uh, write them on a note card, carry it around, or just commit them to memory, create a wallpaper for your phone, look at it regularly, just to be reminded when that temptation comes, right? To hold fast to God and not give an opportunity to the devil, right? One of the best ways you can just surrender to the devil is to not bring your sword to this sword fight <laughs> when you don't have the word of God equipped and ready, memorized. So. Be like David, who said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Okay. I have a concealed weapon so that I would have something to fight the devil with when, when he tempts me with anger. Uh, and lastly, if this is all so difficult and you cannot take these practical steps on your own, reach out to a brother or sister in Christ or reach out to Pastor Kevin or myself and let us help you. Right. Be held accountable and, and meet with us sit down with us reflect on scripture with us reflect on the gospel together and, and we can strive together practically in combating the problem of our anger uh, we don't want to assume right and we don't that you just you got it right? you're good on your own that's not why the church is here to assume that we can just be individual uh christians but to be a community to help one another to hold each other accountable so if you need this assistance if you need this help please reach out right. uh, and whatever you do don't do nothing, but work on controlling your anger, because if you don't, your anger will control you. So let's become more Christ-like with respect to our anger. And, you know, just as discipleship is a lifelong project, consider your uh, sanctification in your anger, your pursuit of good anger to be a lifelong journey as well, to be worked out over a lifetime until he brings us to completion. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and that's the only reason why uh, we are not consumed by your anger. In, in fact, we are uh, invited to draw near to you uh, with repentance, uh, with confession, because of your kindness. And Lord, uh, we confess uh, we have not imitated you, Uh, In your good anger, we have not imitated you in your graciousness and kindness towards one another, um, whether it's in thought, word, or deed, and we confess our weakness in this. So, Lord, would you um, continue to place this biblical, scriptural mirror uh, to our hearts so that we would see, first and foremost, the work that needs to be done on our own hearts, um, before we, before we call out others, uh, may we hear your word calling us out with gentleness, with kindness, calling us to repentance, calling us to change, calling us to, to renewal and restoration, calling us to be children of God, to be like Jesus Christ. May we hear the voice of this shepherd. Uh, may we follow after him And may that be our primary and most urgent concern uh, during this time when the world may be concerned more about uh, calling others out, expressing or justifying one's own anger, uh, whether that's good or bad. Uh, Help us not to imitate the world and befriend the world because you said that makes us your enemies. Help us instead to befriend you and walk this earth as friends of God. We pray this